So a few days ago, uh, much like many millennials, I was uh, scrolling through Twitter, and I happened to catch a little video snippet of an actor that I'm really fond of. And he played a really iconic character in one of my favorite TV shows, so I was actually really curious to see what was this person talking about. Um, But I was especially curious to see what they're talking about because I could see that in the captions he was talking about God. And um, I don't often see conversations about God happening in Hollywood, or at least ones that are, make me feel good about myself at the end of the day. So uh, I clicked on the video and started to watch this person talking about their belief in God. And so they said right out the gate, I totally believe that there's a God. And they began to define that. And, and every, every sort of sentence began to get a little more granular and a little more granular. They said, I believe that God is an incredible divine force that we can tap into. They believe that God is the source of love itself. They would equate God much more with the force of love, just like there's a force of gravity in the universe. God is like a force of love. Then they said, they didn't think that God was, quote, unquote, any sort of guy. They didn't think that God was some kind of, quote, unquote, deity. And the list continued. And at first I was like, yes, I totally agree. There is a God. And yes, there is this incredible divine force of love that we can tap into. And yes, God is the source of love itself. But as the list went on, I could kind of agree less and less about who God was in in comparison to this this actor. Because uh, God became less of a who and more of a what, kind of sort of like the force in Star Wars. Did anyone celebrate May the 4th? Did everyone know that? Yeah, okay, yes. I was out out to dinner with my... With my, uh, with my wife and some friends last night, we were in Japantown in downtown San Jose, and I was like, there's a lot of really weird people out right now. And then I, and then I was like, oh, it's May the 4th. That's why everyone looks like they're dressed like a Jedi. Um, but anyway, I wasn't actually really shocked by the statements that this person was, was saying, um, because lines like this are so common, right, in our culture. I find that, you know, for some people, it can actually be easier to try and explain God in some, frankly, kind of vague terms then risk having to take on the responsibility inherent in acknowledging the specificity or the character of God. Because when you begin to make shape of something, a something into a someone, you can't treat that thing like an abstraction anymore, like you can like a lamp or a mug or a table. It becomes personified. The responsibility now is that you must come to grips with the practical implications that another person has in existing alongside you. If a person exists, they have agency and presence in the world. You can't sit in the proverbial room all to yourself. In fact, there are things that that other person may ask of you, and now you're faced with a decision to make. We can all agree that living like you're the only person is a very bad idea. I don't know. I, John might remember this book. You remember the book Looking Out for Number One? Yeah, you know, <laughs> that, that was a very popular book, and it uh, spawned a lot of jerks in our culture. I'll just say that. This road forward is living like you exist alongside other persons and adjust your behavior to that reality. Today in our gospel reading, which Cindy read for us, we have some very clear words from Jesus. In fact, um, the words that we heard today are, are some of the words that are at the heart of the gospel message. Take that idea about persons and then take that a step further. We're faced with an even bigger decision because the claim that Jesus makes in our reading sets him apart from being some just guy. C.S. Lewis uh, famously said this, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often 
about him being Jesus, which is that I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man, the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him, him being a great teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. So much of the verse that we heard, Jesus spends time trying to clarify to Philip and Thomas who he is. And after questioning, he starts to really repeat himself. And he says, don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who's doing his work. Believe me when I say I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. So here we get a front row seat to the proclamation that the who of the Bible is seen and known and encountered in the person of Christ. When it's much easier and safer to call God a what or a vague force in the universe, we Christians are saying that God was and is a who. Through the mystery of the Trinity, God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and the Son is and was and will be always Jesus Christ. So when I was saying before that knowing a person exists means that there's a shift in how we act if we know that they're out in the world. Well, Jesus then makes the point to us later in the verse we read, and he makes it clearly. He says, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. So here's the real fork in the road for us today. When we're faced with truly knowing Christ and who he is, we then have to start making decisions. Unlike that vague God who is merely synonymous with love, Jesus was a concrete person who asked specific things of his disciples and he asked specific things of us as well. And there are many things that Jesus asked of us that are going to be universal as Christians, but there are also things that are going to look different for each of us based on our life circumstances. Invariably, I will struggle with different decisions to make than another person. But part of our life as a Christian is to think deeply on the things that Jesus asks of us. Now, there are a few things before I begin that I want to call out as unhelpful that I think we often do. And the first and probably most common, and I'm also preaching to myself here, is to call out when we hear one of Jesus' commands by overthinking what Jesus calls us to do. When Jesus says to take care of orphans and widows, we might spend reading, you know, we might spend months reading books or listening to podcasts sort of to get it right and to figure out what's helpful. Um, and those are good things, but, you know, I often ask myself the question like, how, you know, at what point in listening to, you know, 30 podcasts and reading four books, do I really know what Jesus' command was? Uh, I once had uh, a spiritual formation class, and uh, in the spiritual formation class, uh, we had the honor of actually sitting with some pastors from San Francisco who um, operate and work in some of the hardest-hit neighborhoods of the city, um, specifically uh, Hunter's Point and, I believe, in the Mission. And um, they were speaking, specifically, these pastors were speaking on this idea of aligning yourself with the poor and the downtrodden, which is something I think Jesus calls us to pretty clearly in Scripture. And you know what their big advice was? 
It wasn't, here's all the things you need to figure out. It was literally the Nike slogan. It was just do it. They said that you just needed to accept that you'd get it wrong sometimes and make mistakes or missteps. But the, the, the important thing was that you did the work and you did it with humility. So if you made a mistake or something went wrong, you can accept when you messed up and learn and move on to continue doing it again. And the second thing that I think can be unhelpful, and this is hard, I think we really struggle with this in, in, in the American church, is to confuse life within the church as the whole kit and caboodle. So what I mean by that is that we spend so much time attending church, doing church, that we forget the mission of energy to simply being in the church, then we have forgotten to be the church. That means that there's something wrong. And like one of the bigger issues in our church landscape these days. We are less and less known for the things that we should be known for because the church has become so tribalistic in the midst of our culture. We're more invested in protecting our borders than we are welcoming others into the kingdom by loving and caring for them. So, to quote a wise 900-year-old green puppet, do or do not, there is no try. So now that I've successfully quoted C.S. Lewis and Yoda a couple days after May 4th, um, I want to give a concrete challenge to all of us. In the coming weeks, we're going to be celebrating Pentecost. And this is where we remember the, the Holy Spirit falling on the disciples. And um, this kicks off the beginning of the church. So why shouldn't it also kick off the beginning of a season where we are able to church as Holy Trinity instead of just being we have that same Holy Spirit as well to empower us and to strengthen us in all that we do and say. So why not do and say what the Spirit is moving in us? When we see someone who needs help or something that isn't right or a place of need and we feel that tug on our hearts, that's not just a sense of conscience, that is the Holy Spirit working in us. When we are stirred in our spirits because of something, it's not just us having good ideas, it's the Holy Spirit calling us to something deeper. In the coming weeks and months, I pray, and we should all be praying seriously, that God would provide more and more opportunities to do the things that Jesus has asked of us so that we can feel that stirring in the spirit of us. Personally, I know that um, Hotel de Zinc, although uh, is over for Highway uh, Church down the street, this is the church that we partnered with to do Hotel de Zinc, which is a mobile uh, and rotating uh, soup kitchen and homeless shelter. Um, although it's over for our ministry partner, it is not over for other churches, and that is another great place to plug in. I know that uh, Hope's Corner Soup Kitchen in downtown Mountain View uh, always needs help preparing meals and providing dignity to its guests. Um, and along with that, there's actually a group of people that get together and box up meals and take them uh, out to people living in the cities and just converse with them, get relationships. And that's another way to do what Jesus asks. I know that um, just down the street, there's the Jewish Family Services Agency that is looking to help refugees resettle uh, after having their lives destroyed. We've got refugees still coming in from Afghanistan and, and from the Ukraine. Also a place to be present. I know that we have close friends who are going through horrendous seasons of life, and we can concretely and substantially stand around them, bring them meals, offer to pray with them, offer to listen to them, do some errands for them, or even just reach out and say hello. And I know that there are people within our own community who are struggling 
and be the church together by offering our help and our time and our energy and our prayers in much more bold and concrete ways. If we know God in the person of Jesus, then there are questions to be asked about what we should be doing and how we should be living. I think the answers to those questions are often much easier to come up with than we allow for ourselves. I am not advocating for reckless action. Sometimes well-intentioned helping can hurt. It should it should just mirror. church in this season, and as we get closer to Pentecost, my prayer is that the God who is known and understood in the person would be moving us to action in our lives and in the lives of May we live out our lives like we have met and believed in the person of Jesus, the anointed one, and may that inspire us to action. <laughs>